0: Luke tells us in the ninth chapter of this gospel that Jesus is on a specific journey. A journey that allows for no deviation or deflection from the end purpose of that journey. When the days drew near, Luke writes, for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. We are told by Luke that when Jerusalem was almost reached and visible to the eye, it was the cause of weeping on the part of Christ, which I would suggest tells us much about the heart of the Lord Jesus, speaks volumes of the pastoral care had for the citizens of this city. When he drew near and saw the city he wept over it saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. And as he journeyed towards his goal he preached and in his preaching he made use of parables By using parables to illustrate the teaching and instruction that he was setting before his audience. His preaching gave instruction not only as to how one becomes a disciple but also as to how one should live as a disciple. He healed many who were sick. He met with many differing needs. Our passage for reflection this evening almost brings his journey and his preaching near to its intended goal. In this familiar passage, Luke sets before us Christ's own assessment of his mission in the world. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It's an important mission statement, and it's written for the encouragement of us all, I believe. For by nature, we are defined by the word lost. We are all by nature lost. It is also, I believe, a striking feature of Luke's gospel that he focuses our attention on Christ's wonderful care for those on the edge, those as it were on the perimeter, on the outside. You find examples of this in his gospel, Christ touching the untouchable, Christ uh, delivering the woman that was a sinner, his association with those viewed with revulsion by the scribes and Pharisees. This man receives sinners and deeds with them. His association with tax collectors who were viewed with animosity by the larger population. It is also evident from the lives of those touched by the power of the gospel and brought to faith in Christ that it is a time of joy when they are united to Christ through faith in his name. And you may be here this evening, and you well remember the first ecstatic days of new-found joy in Christ. Your sins most graciously forgiven. The realization that they had been forgiven. The crushing burden of the guilt of sin lifted off. And although much was hidden from your sight that would cause you great challenges in the following years with regard to being a follower of the Lord, yet the most important thing of all had taken place in your life. You became a sinner saved by grace. You were united by faith to Christ. And it may have been that you then thought that all your days would be days of being as it were on the mountain top, days of ecstatic joy. And then you discovered that there were valleys to be traversed and experienced. You may have been tempted to think, and may still be, that the Lord had forsaken you. Can I ask, where you? Or are you still able to echo the words of another who wrote the words, Where is the blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord? Where is the soul-refreshing view of Jesus and his word? What peaceful hours I once enjoyed, how sweet the memory still. But they have left an aching void. The world can never fill. only Christ can fill that void in the lives of those who have had experience of that blessedness. and so that, if that is your complaint this evening, the Word of God exhorts and encourages you hope in God, and the psalm is to add experience of these depths in his own life, goes on to say, as he conducts a conversation with his own soul, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Well, as we come to focus on this passage, it is very apparent that the meeting between the Saviour of Sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ, and this executive tax collector caught the attention of Luke. The reason I say that is that he is the only gospel writer who writes about this life-changing meeting. Neither Matthew, Mark, or John make any reference to this meeting between the Savior and Zacchaeus. Luke considers it important for us to hear about this life-changing meeting in the life of the man Zacchaeus. He tells us Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through and behold there was a a man named Zacchaeus. And the word behold is frequently used in the Bible for the very purpose of drawing our attention to a matter of importance, a matter deserving of our reflection and attention. It is, if you like, the highlighter of the Bible. Now, although Luke wishes us to know about this meeting, it's not so much, as I said, to focus our attention on Zacchaeus, important as that is, but on Jesus as the one who came to seek and to save the lost. That, I believe, cannot be overemphasized the purpose of Jesus' mission. It is God alone, through Christ, who is able to open the eyes of the blind, to make the deaf hear, to give the dumb to speak, in short, to gift us salvation, something that money cannot buy. He alone is able to blot out our transgressions, to pay our debts, to restore to life, to heal our diseases. He is the great Savior who abundantly pardons. And Luke is saying to us, do you see this Jesus? For the story does not end with the astounding, life-changing experience in the life of Zacchaeus. That you might think is the climactic highlight of the story. An amazing wonderful conversion no the emphasis and explanation of truth is this for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost in other words we must not lose sight of the mission purpose of Christ in coming into the world well just three thoughts first of all where did Jesus find this man Secondly, what did Jesus say to this man? And thirdly, what evidence do we have of this man being saved? Firstly, where did Jesus find this man? And the answer that the Bible gives us is that this man was found in a city which does not have a great reputation. Luke tells us Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Jericho was a city with a past. Who or what doesn't have a past? You and I all have a past. And if you go back into the Old Testament, you will find mention of this city. It was the first place of opposition that the people of Israel encountered after they had crossed the River Jordan into the Promised Land. It was a walled city. It was fortified. The walls were regarded as being impregnable. The citizens felt very secure as they watched the approach of the people of Israel. Yet you may remember Despite such strong, apparently impregnable walls, they are reduced to rubble by the power of Almighty God alone as the people of Israel took God at his word. Because that is in essence what faith involves, taking God as it word. It is not done through the use of siege machines. The children of Israel encircled the city for days, six days, and on the seventh day they encircled the city of Jericho seven times. They blew the trumpets, the people shouted, and the walls came crashing down. You may also remember that the Bible speaks of the deliverance of a woman from that city. By faith in the New Testament, Letter to the Hebrews, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And she is a story of the marvelous grace of God in Christ. The story of the destruction of Jericho in the book of Joshua also tells us how there would be grave consequences for anyone who might attempt to rebuild the city. Joshua laid an oath on them, at that time saying, Cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds the city. Jericho, at the cost of his firstborn, shall he lay its foundation, at the cost of his youngest son, shall he set up its gates. And yet, despite the prohibitive cost that is mentioned with regard to rebuilding, this destroyed city, we are told that the city was rebuilt in the days of King Ahab. Days that were characterized by departure from the teachings and instruction of the word of God. We read in the Bible, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him in his his days, that is in the days of Ahab, Hyel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation at the cost of Abiram, his firstborn, and set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. In other words, the word that was spoken by Joshua is fulfilled. So often, the word of God is treated with disdain by man. Scant regard is paid to what God says and the cost of such blatant disregard is enormous. Just in passing we too are living in a day where the word of God is treated as irrelevant. Make no mistake that will reap its own rewards. In fact we may be already reaping it as a nation. It's not entirely clear whether this man, Hael, sacrificed his sons as happened in those days, or was their death a judgmental act on the part of God for this man's disobedience. I rather incline towards the latter view, but the Bible doesn't make that abundantly clear. Be that as it may, you cannot but wonder at how the Lord finds his own wherever they might be. Remember, John tells us, he loved his own. His own are the objects of his love, and he will find them wherever they might be. Whatever place they might occupy in the world, however low they might sink in life, He will find them. And so you cannot but wonder at how, in this city, that the Son of Man, this city with a past, this city. That God spoke judgmentally against. It was in Jericho City. That the son of man. The Lord Jesus Christ. Found this man. And I would suggest that Jericho. Is a picture in miniature. miniature. It is symbolic. Of of the world. Has been under the curse. On account of man's disobedience. And Luke pinpoints for us where the Lord found this person he found him in this city that's the first thing he discloses his identity not only does he disclose his identity but we learn about his work and his social status his, his employment his name Zacchaeus his employment a tax collector in fact he was a chief tax collector he was at you might say at executive level in the tax collection system He was also rich. Executive tax collectors and riches went hand in hand. A chief tax collector would have meant that he had several tax collectors accountable to him. Tax collectors were unscrupulous and ruthless in their work. They didn't care about their fellow Jews or the poverty levels that their fellow men experienced you would say that they contributed to the poverty of their fellow beings by the extortionate levy of tax imposed by them. As a consequence of their questionable and unscrupulous behavior, they were hated by the general population. But just not just because they were seen as the representative or the employee and friend of the hated Roman Empire, but also for their corrupt and fraudulent practice with regard to tax levies, they were largely ostracized among the population. And Luke tells us that this executive tax collector, he was a small man. He was small in stature. You might say a little man with great authority. A little man but in possession of great wealth. And Luke tells us exactly where Jesus met with this man. He had climbed into a sycamore tree. Now, I don't think that that would be an everyday occurrence for an executive tax collector. It would do nothing for his reputation. A person who saw himself as being of, of great importance, an executive tax officer, and this person of enormous influence, whose, whose tentacles of greed spread widely, he was in an unusual place. Why was he in an unusual place? Well, you, you might say you could argue that it was because he, he, was, he was a little guy and that he had to get into an elevated position. If the crowds were thronging in the streets... They could have been determined not to let him to the front because of their animosity to him in the knowledge that he would see nothing from the rear of the crowd. Well, I don't buy that entirely. Given his lack of height to see over the crowd, he could have gone to his office. He could have gone home. He may not even have wanted to see Jesus. But Luke tells us why he was in the tree? He was seeking to see who Jesus was. He was desirous of meeting Jesus. That is the real reason that Luke gives for this man being in the, in the sycamore tree. Now, this was most likely out of character in the life of this man. It was uncharacteristic Behavior on the part of this man, it was not normal, it wasn't his usual pattern of behavior. It is possible that his desire to see Jesus what he was really like, had been prompted by the fact that a tax collector was among Jesus's disciples. The Bible tells us that on occasion Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. There was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. I would suggest that it is very possible that word of this occasion, this event had reached the ears of Zacchaeus. Had he heard the complaint, of the scribes and Pharisees against Jesus for they were highly critical at the fact that Jesus not only just associated with tax collectors and sinners but that he also was enter- entertained by them he dined with them and the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled had his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners it was total anathema to them they couldn't understand it Again, Jesus performed significant acts of healing. He gave sight to the blind. And we have the incident outside Jericho with Bartimaeus. He healed lepers. Zacchaeus may even have heard of the illustration that Jesus used about prayer. The story of the tax collector and the Pharisee who went up to the temple to pray. Did he hear the conclusion of that story? I tell you this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Was it really true? Zacchaeus could have asked that the tax collector was saved and the Pharisee lost. Would that be possible? And for these reasons and possibly more, I am of the view that they serve to explain the unusual uh, behavior pattern of this little man. You see, when our lives begin to be influenced by the Lord Jesus Christ, you do things that would have been once totally out of character. He wanted to know more about Christ, who he really was. And when that happens in your life and mine, you begin to do things that you didn't do before. For example, you begin to read the Bible. That would have been anathema once, to read the Bible, to reflect on what the Bible has to say. But you see, when Jesus is influencing your life and your heart, you begin to read the Word of God. Your behavior pattern, your normal behavior pattern is disrupted. And you begin to do things that you wouldn't believe of yourself. You begin to read the Word of God, that in and of itself, could be a very new practice, unusual for you to do that, and you begin to attend where Christ is spoken about. You begin to attend services in a building like this. Perhaps you just come on a Sunday evening, but it's, 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 it's a, a different pattern to what used to be the norm. And perhaps you surprise yourself by your attendance on the means of grace. You're in a place where you might not be expected to be found. Where you wouldn't even expect to find yourself. Perhaps in in past years. And here you are this evening in the house of God. And you begin to listen to the message. You're not just there to pass the time. You begin to listen to what has been said. Or you might be very unwilling to admit that you are listening. That might be too embarrassing to admit to your peer group that you are actually listening to the message of the gospel. But secretly you are listening. That's why you are here. And then it may not be unusual for you to be here tonight perhaps you're here because uh, you want to please someone who's close to you maybe this is your regular place on a Sunday evening out of practice out of custom or just to please someone close to you perhaps out of a ah the way that you looked sense of reverence, perhaps for parents who are no longer living who put that practice into your mind and into your heart set it before you and as the years passed you have begun to keep that practice and so you come here on a Sunday evening and you consider that you've done your duty that's it for another week Ah, but my friend, even if it's not unusual for you to be here, have you begun to listen to the message that comes from the pulpit here, week in, week out? Whatever the reason, have you considered that you are here tonight and the reason for you being here? has not yet been disclosed to you. Do you think about that? So that for you tonight this could be your Jericho. And what may have been occasional or a habitual custom may be for you a birthday ordered by God. When Jesus finds you and, like Zacchaeus, calls you by name that he might come into your home and into your life and into your heart, could that be why you are really here this evening? Zacchaeus was sought and found by Jesus, and it may be that you are being found this evening by him too maybe Jesus is breaking into your thoughts, into your heart in a way that you did not expect and so that in Kennel Street Free Church building the Lord is speaking to you you know you would not be the first whom Christ has sought and found in this building. A rich man, too poor to buy what would make him acceptable to God. Because salvation cannot be bought or earned. It can only be received. The sacrifice of Christ alone is the purchase price. Where did Jesus find this man? In a cursed city, in an unusual location. Secondly, what did he say to him? Luke tells us when Jesus came to the place, he looked up. Did Zacchaeus expect to remain hidden from the sight of Jesus on his perch in the tree? I don't know. But let me ask you the question. Do you think that Christ is unaware of your presence in this service this evening? I can categorically state that Christ is well aware where you are tonight and every other night. And Luke gives the impression that Christ was aware of the fact that Zacchaeus was in the tree. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up. That suggests that Jesus knew full well that this man was in the tree. And so he addressed him as reported by Luke. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. There, there, is, there is no indication given that, that he preached to Zacchaeus. No, attention, no indication that he drew attention to the sins of Zacchaeus. Why, why, I wonder, is there no mention of these things? Well, it seems to me the emphasis in this particular context is on the saving power of the Son of Man. Through this brief conversation, it's as if the sins of Zacchaeus rise up before him. Jesus doesn't preach because he himself is the summation of the gospel. The fact that Jesus was there was a presentation of the gospel to this little man. But he calls him. And you know, it was a personal call. You know, Sacchaeus wasn't left in any doubt as to who was being called. A great crowd. But there was no room for, for dubiety because he called him by name. It's this man. Of whom Luke speaks, seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd who could not, because he was small in stature. He is calling this man. And could it be tonight that it is you who is being addressed? He called him by name, and it was an urgent call. Zacchaeus so, okay, Harry. You know, it's in our nature, isn't it, to procrastinate on occasions when we are confronted by the challenges of the gospel, we tend to say, tomorrow, oh, tomorrow. And that tomorrow never comes. How many times have you said tomorrow? And it does never come. Remember, remember how Felix, in the book of Acts, When he was challenged by the message of the gospel, the Bible tells us he was alarmed. And do you remember how he appeased his alarm? Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. Oh, my friend, is that what you are doing? Is that what you have been doing over the years as you came to this building? Perhaps out of a sense of duty. And have you been saying over the years, when I have a mood, when I get an opportunity. But my friend, it's not us who summon him. It's he who summons us. The authoritative, insistent voice of Jesus says, Here, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down now. It's, it's a royal command from the King of Kings. Hurry! No time to lose. It was a command that could not be resisted in the life of Zacchaeus. But are you here this evening and are you guilty of seeking to suppress the voice that comes with urgency and says, Hurry! Have you until now been turning a deaf ear to this urgent authoritative command to hurry? And you could say, not only was it an urgent call, but it was a humbling call. By nature, even the, even the humblest of us by nature, we are so proud. That's the fruit of the fall in the life of man. And there is an inclination to think and to say, no need for me to come down and find where I am. Ah, but you don't come to Christ on my terms or your terms. We have to come on his terms. And you know the terms are non-negotiable. And so Christ says, hurry, come down, come close to me. In other words, come into union with me where there is no wrong for pride and lack of humility. It was a call of love that sought Zacchaeus and brought him near to Christ. It was an effectual call. Many of you have learned the shorter catechism. You remember the question, what is effectual calling? The work of God's Spirit whereby He convicts us of our sin and misery. Enlighten our minds in the knowledge of Christ. Renewing our wills, He does persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the Gospel. Where do we see the work of the Holy Spirit in this context? In my view we see it in the obedience that Zacchaeus demonstrated. He hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Here he is embracing Christ as his Lord and his God and his Saviour. And Jesus then says... I must stay at your house today. It's worth I believe reflecting where the Bible states that there are things that Christ must do. The musts in the life of Christ. Moses lifted up the serpent the will. So must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. He couldn't be a savior unless he was a, unless he was a, a sacrifice for, for the sin of the world at the age of 12 years. Do you not know that I must be in my father's house? He had a deep aware of his relationship to God the Father. Indicative of the pattern of obedience that, that was to characterize, characterize the whole of his life. I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also. And this must involve them in going into the various areas of life in the world in order to find the lost sheep. And we have a good example of it right here in this context. How indebted we are tonight if you are in Christ, that he persisted in his search, Because this must surely speaks of the intense longing that there be one flock ultimately and one shepherd. And that must inevitably lead them to the cross and the sufferings associated with it as he effects reconciliation. And so in this context, I must, today, I must stay at your house. As if to say, I require your home in order to stop a little while on my journey towards Jerusalem. And you know Zacchaeus had no problem with that. One more thought before we leave this. Some are of the view that conversing must be a highly dramatic experience. But would you say that this conversion was highly dramatic? He was in the sycamore tree because he wanted to see who Jesus was. He didn't see a strange light. He didn't hear a strange, unusual sound. He heard the voice of Jesus clearly, coercively, authoritatively calling to him to come down from his perch. Christ came to seek. And you could say as far as, as this man here was concerned. Christ came and asked. There was nothing in his life to warrant that Christ call him in fact quite the opposite. But you see Christ to us, the key of David unlocked his heart. He placed warmth in a hitherto cold unbelieving heart. So that this man was more than willing to have Christ in his home. He hurried and came down and received him joyfully. What a joyous moment in the life of this man. He received him joyfully. Can I ask, have you come here tonight with a desire to see Jesus? Now it is true that Zacchaeus' song with his physical eyes but he also saw saw Jesus our Savior with the eyes of faith and tonight Christ is, is strolling through Stornoway and if he were to say to you I must stay at your house tonight how would you respond Would you like Zacchaeus' hurry to welcome him with joy? Or would you seek to keep him out? Would you lock the door so that he couldn't come in? Answer the question. Many might tell you, keep him out. Don't submit to him. Many might respond. As they did here very critically. What right has Christ to go with such a person? He's he's going to go with that thief. When they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Oh, praise God that it is written in the Bible. This man, this Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. Because we're all sinners. None of us are deserving of the least of his mercies. So when he again offers salvation, are you willing to receive it? Is it true? It is true that where a welcome is given to Jesus in a heart and home in this life, a glorious welcome awaits them in the Father's house at the end of life. What did he say to him? Where did he find him? Finally, the evidence has been saved. The time has gone. And the evidence is presented from two sides. First, we have Zacchaeus' own testimony. He demonstrates by his testimony the great change that has occurred in his life. His behavior has been totally changed. Behold, Lord, he says, the half of my goods I give to the poor, if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold that was certainly not the kind of practice that this guy had until now. In fact, totally the reverse. He, he, he took from the poor. He didn't give to the poor. He didn't care about the poor. As long as Zacchaeus' bank account continued to grow. Nor was he overly concerned about defrauding his fellow men. That was the way the tax collectors operated. He could not have been at executive level without fraudulent practices. And there's no indication that he ever lost a wink of sleep about these matters. But now he says, Behold Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. If they have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold." And you cannot but wonder if Zacchaeus in hearing himself speaking these words if he is asking the question is this really me? Is this really me? Did I say that? There was a man I knew years ago came from the area of Ness He was up in years when he was converted and he used to say frequently you know he said even the dog noticed the change in my life. The way in which he had previously spoken to the dog. Perhaps the language wasn't the best. And he used to maintain the dog noticed the change such was the the reality of the change that had occurred in the life of that man. And that's how it is in the life of every person who is changed by the power of God's grace. So if it was unusual for this man to be in the tree, it was even more unusual To hear himself make this confession, confession from a one-time fraudulent tax collector. His life has been changed, not by him, but by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. The Bible reminds us if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation the old has passed away behold the new has come and it's not just his manner of speaking that has changed but his life practice has changed money was his God but now he gives his funds away to the poor he restores those whom he has defrauded in past years. No, I said the evidence is presented from two sides. Zacchaeus' testimony is borne out by Jesus. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. What a glowing testimony, paid by Jesus. Salvation has come to this house. Here is visible evidence that salvation has come into the life of this man and his home. I am a welcome guest in the home of this man. Just think of that. You know, there used to be, uh, in old days, I don't know if it's still true, but you would go into houses and you would see, Uh, like a little plaque on the wall Christ is the head of this home I don't know if if it was true what the statement said if it was true that he was indeed the head of the home I know in some homes that it was let me ask you is that true of your home is it true of your heart that Christ is the Lord of your heart this evening Because that's what happened here. No matter how full you think your life has been, or how full your home is, it's empty without Christ. And in order to leave no dubiety about the matter, Jesus goes on to assert, since this man is a son of Abraham. Now that doesn't mean that Zacchaeus was a Jew. That is true, but it means much more. Paul writes to the Galatians, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. In other words, Christ is saying about this man such he is a child of the covenant promises, an heir of the blessings, a true believer. We don't know how this would have been tested and come in coming days. It probably was. We know that Abraham himself was tested in the very evening of his life. But you see, by God's grace, he was able to face the testing. And so will you, friend. Someone wrote like this, I sought the Lord, and afterwards I knew. He moved my soul to seek Him, seeking me. It's not I that found no Savior true. No, I was found of Thee. Oh, my friend, has He found you tonight. In this building is he welcome in your heart and in your home. Where did Jesus find this man? In a cursed city, in an unusual location. What did he say to him? Hurry and come down. Evidence of being saved. The life pattern changed in the life of Zacchaeus and the testimony. Of Christ himself. A man sought. And a man saved. Is that true. Of you and me. Let us pray. O eternal God. How important it is. To be found in Christ. For without thee we are without hope. And without God in the world. Forbid that that be so And the glory shall be thine In Jesus name we ask it Amen Let us conclude by singing to God's praise From Psalm 105 Psalm 105 Page 374 of the Psalter The tune is uh, Danfield. Give thanks to God Call on his name To men his deeds make known. Sing ye to him, sing psalms. Proclaim his wondrous works each one. See that ye in his holy name to glory do accord. Let the heart of everyone rejoice that seeks the Lord. The Lord Almighty, and his strength with steadfast heart seek ye. His blessed and his gracious face seek ye continually think on the works that he has done which admiration breed his wonders and the judgments all which from his mouth proceed O ye that are of Abraham's race his servant well approved ye that Jacob's children are whom he chose for his own let us sing these verses in conclusion give thanks to God
1: Give thanks to God, call on His name, to men His.
0: and abide with you all, now and forever.